<clears throat> Good morning. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to him, ex <clears throat> acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumbled because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Thank you, Lori. And I want to thank our kids kind of impromptu choir here for sharing with us. Good morning, everybody, uh, in person and online, and uh, happy Mother's Day. Um, you know, I've been thinking lately about uh, how my mom put so much effort into helping each of her four kids find at least one thing that they could enjoy and hopefully excel at. And so I attribute uh, my love for music uh, today to the efforts of my mom. Uh, today, I think it's also appropriate to remember other important women in our lives. And I think of Mrs. Priest, who was my teacher for four years. It took me a long time to get out of first grade. <laughs> Actually, she was my teacher first through fourth grade in country school. Uh, anyway, when I was about eight years old, uh, my mom came home from parent-teacher conference and reported that Mrs. Priest said she thought I could become president or something. And uh, I never wanted to, but you know, I never forgot her confidence in me. It meant a lot. In just a minute, we're going to huddle up into groups of four, give or take, and uh, you'll have a chance to respond to a question about your mother or a motherly figure or role model for you. Uh, what's one thing you want to remember about her today? And as you huddle up, Look around, see if you see somebody alone, see if they want to join your group. And, and if you don't want to, just say no but thanks. And if you do huddle up, feel free. If you want to say something, fine. If you want to just listen, that's fine too. But remember to move right along because you only get two minutes starting now.
Well, I hope uh, you got a chance here to honor somebody that's been important to you uh, and think about them today on this Mother's Day. And, and I have one more thing I'd like to add uh, for, you, for you women, that if you ever find yourself going through a difficult pregnancy or a really challenging time in motherhood, that you have a faith family here that will support you. You know, I've gotten to know this congregation and seen what you have done, and I, I, I can promise you that you are not and will not be alone. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you promised to build your church. And we ask that you will continue to build us into the kind of faith family you want us to be. Give us courage to be your deep, daring, daily disciples. Fill us with the presence of the Holy Spirit that we may love one another and love the world you came to serve. In your name we pray, amen. Well, this is the third Sunday in our series based on the first letter of Peter. The uh, series is called, You Are Made for This. You know, when I was a, a kid, um, our school, our country school group, took a field trip to the Nebraska State Capitol. And, and I'd seen it before with our family driving by from the out. I'd seen it from the outside, but I'd never been inside. And so that day we arrived and we, we walked up all those many steps, you know, on that north entrance and, and then opened those large doors and we looked up at the vestibule and went, wow. And then we walked farther down the hall to the rotunda and we looked up. We said, wow. And we looked down on the floor on the tile mosaics of partially clothed people and said, wow. <laughs> you know, it took... Ten years to build our cap, state capital. Uh, this, is the ninth, this year is the 100th anniversary of the beginning of the construction and the 90th anniversary of its completion. And, of course, there's nothing like it in our state. The largest structure in the ancient Roman Empire in terms of square feet was the temple in Jerusalem. Most of it was walled-in courtyard, which was about a third of a mile square. It was made of large stones of the, the wall, outer walls, and then the, the, uh, the floor of the courtyard was also stone, so it was, it was like it was paved in that sense. Uh, and, the, and the largest stones on the walls weighed up to hundreds of tons, and they were set in place using, can you imagine what they had? They could make back then with some kind of cranes and a lot of manual labor. Here's a replica of the temple. Uh, back in that first century, and, and when people went there and when they went inside it, their, their jaws just dropped. It was so breathtaking, so beautiful. Everyone was amazed, including Jesus' disciples. They said, look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. On another occasion, Jesus said, I tell you, Something greater than the temple is here. Something greater. 
The Jews understood the temple in Jerusalem as the focus of the presence of God on earth, but now Jesus is the focus of the presence of God on earth. And what Jesus is doing is more beautiful and more breathtaking than any building. As Jesus' people, we are the big thing God is doing in the world. And that's the heart of today's message. And, and, I, and I don't mean it to sound arrogant or like we're all that, because it's all God's doing. It's God's grace to us who are undeserving. Let's say this together, shall we? As Jesus' people, we are the big thing God is doing in the world. Um, over the last five or six years, I've been, you know, trying to be a blessed friend and learn how to do that. And one guy that I've gotten to know even before then uh, here in Omaha and, uh, you know, not following Jesus, not really interested in that. And, but anyway, I've been praying for him. We got to know each other and, and I've been listening to him and supporting him. And, and we, we text pretty much every week. Uh, once in a while, we're able to, to get some lunch together. Uh, I, I've been there through it. I've been there for him in some hard times. And, uh, you know, and, I, and I, I often tell him that I'm praying for him. And uh, sometimes I even ask, would you pray for me about something? And uh, anyway, last year, he asked for a Bible. And so I gave him one of the Bibles that we give away here at our church. I said, here, this is from our church for you. And uh, I, I want you to know that, that this year, things have kind of turned a corner. And, uh, and now when we text, sometimes he says that he's praying for me and Trish. And he's found a church close to where he lives. And he's, he's really opened his life up and is letting God guide him. And I think this is the big thing God is doing. And I say, hallelujah, thank you, Lord, for this. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to start with verse 4. Uh, the Jesus followers receiving this letter are a minority group in their communities and they're facing all kinds of discrimination and hardship and hostility. They're probably getting blamed for all the bad things that happen. You know, plagues, pestilence, prices at the pump, they get blamed for all of it. And it's easy for them to feel defeated. So Peter writes him this letter with the help of his friend Silas because he wants them to remember who they are. They are the big thing God is doing. And verse 4 starts out uh, focusing on Jesus. It says, as you come to him, and meaning as you come and put your faith in him, the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him. You know, I have to say that the Lord of the Rings has ruined the word precious for me. <laughs> Any of you? I mean, creepy Gollum calls the ring of power, my precious, you know. <laughs> and so now, whenever I hear that word, it makes me think of some kind of weird, sick, tormented, demented obsession. But that's not what precious means here. I've got to keep telling myself that. It means that Jesus is highly prized in God's eyes. He is worthy of great honor. Now, some of you may remember that the, the name Peter, which is the nickname Jesus gave his, his disciple Simon, the name Peter is Greek for rock. A, a rock uh, and a stone are 
almost the same thing, right? Uh, but in, especially in the Bible, a rock refers to fixed solid rock, like the side of a mountain. Or a rock is a, a solid surface that you stand on or, or build on. Now, a stone is a separate piece of rock. Stones uh, were important building materials in the first century in the Middle East, and uh, stones were, were dressed, uh, which means that they were chiseled, and, and then to just the right shape and size to, to fit the other stones to, to build a wall. And, of course, that's why you see the, the hammer and chisel here and, then, and the stone as well here and up on the altar. And uh, let me show you this one. You can't see it very well. This one needs some shaping to, be, to fit. But it's really not that bad, you know. <laughs> so, anyway. Uh, fortunately, I didn't hurt myself. <laughs> well, when you're building something with stones, the first stone you lay is the most important. All the other stones are built around the cornerstone, right? So it has to be square, it has to be level, it has to be plumb. Jesus is our cornerstone. We are built to align with him. You know, one of my fears is that this church would be built on something besides Jesus. Built on sentimental traditions. Built on keeping ourselves entertained. Built on controlling the church to the way I want it to be or you want it to be. But my biggest fear is that this church would be built on me. You know, I'm the second longest serving pastor you've had here now. But if this church is built on the preacher, then you are becoming weaker, not stronger. And that's one of the reasons that I love our, our small groups, because it gives you a chance to grow stronger without me even being there. Whatever we build our lives on besides Jesus will let us down. And then Peter tells the sisters and brothers in verse 5, you're following along, you still got your Bible open, uh, it says, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, when it says a spiritual house, it doesn't mean this building at 4814 Oaks Lane. This building is only the house of God by association. We are the house of God. We are the household of God. We are the temple. And then the metaphor takes a turn. Um, who, who works in a temple? Priests. And that's uh, where they offer their sacrifices on behalf of the people. In, in, the, uh, in the new thing that God is doing, we somehow are both the temple and the priests. Now, that doesn't mean you have to speak Latin or wear a funny collar. But we are a priestly people because we are offering sacrifices to God as an act of worship. And what are those sacrifices? It's our trusting obedience 
right? It's our trusting obedience. Trust and obey. I, I know a school teacher here in this church who's decided to not participate uh, in any of the staff gossip at her school. And so when it starts up, she just keeps quiet or she tries to change the subject or she just walks away. And that trusting obedience is an act of worship. I know a young guy uh, here in our church who's, who's decided to take it seriously when Jesus, uh, what he said about money, and so he spends significantly less than he makes. So he can give generously, including giving a tithe to this church. Trusting obedience is an act of worship. I conducted a, a wedding earlier this year for a, a Christian couple who had committed to the Lord that they were going to wait until after the wedding, if you know what I mean. It's rare these days. But in obedience, they trusted that God's way would bring greater blessing. Chapter 1 says, and we, some of you were with us, we saw, you saw it last week. It says, be holy in all you do. Right? Be holy in all you do. And for us, that means aligning our lives with Christ. Because if we're not aligned with him, then the building is going to go askew. It'll, it'll lean. It'll tip. It'll, it'll be unstable. So we tell Jesus, okay, Lord, do your big work in me. Keep chiseling. Keep shaping me. Take off the stuff that doesn't need to be there. Make me holy and faithful. All right, and then we come to verses 6, 7, and 8, and I'm not going to go through uh, those right now, but it gives us these quotes from the Old Testament uh, pointing to Jesus as the precious chosen cornerstone rejected by the original builders. Then in verse 9, Peter talks again directly to these beaten down sisters and brothers, and he wants to remind them again of who they are, who God has made them to be. And again, the big idea is that as Jesus' people, we are the big thing God is doing in the world. Verse 9 starts out, but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Now, now, Peter's borrowing phrases from Exodus 19 in the Old Testament where the Israelites are standing uh, before God at Mount Sinai. And God tells them that you are my chosen people, my, my special possession. Uh, and Peter's now telling these people, you are God's new chosen people. And you know, I want to say that to you today. You belong to Jesus. You are now God's chosen people. You are now God's chosen people. And I'm not saying that because God, you know, predestines you or chooses you to receive salvation and somebody else not. But when you do come to Jesus, God chooses to reveal himself to the world through you. When I came to this church 12 years ago almost, I noticed something here that there were a lot of you who didn't 
feel that good about being Faith Westwood. A few years earlier, you had launched the Water's Edge as your second campus, and a number of people left uh, this site to go to the new campus, and, and of course, it was sort of like the new exciting thing, and this place felt like the old unexciting thing. A decade ago, we made the difficult decision to release Water's Edge to be their own church, and it turned out to be good for both congregations. And it allowed us to quit comparing ourselves and start appreciating the big thing that God is doing here. And as I think about that big thing that God's been doing here over the last 10 years, it made me think of some questions for you. Over the last decade, how many people have found food and friendship because of our FaithWorks pantry? How many people have been blessed by prayer blankets that you've given them? How many people have found renewed hope from our grief share groups? How many kids have, from the community have found their way to Vacation Bible School here? How many people from our faith family have made it through a crisis because you give to the Helping Hands Fund? How many people have come closer to Jesus because you've been a blessed friend? How many of you understand the Bible and the gospel better than you did a decade ago? How many of you pray more freely than you did a decade ago? How many of you have, have deepened your faith and, and friendships in a small group? And how many of you would say that in the last decade what you have experienced through this faith family has somehow been renewing in your life and renewed your faith in Christ? If any of those questions includes you in any way, either giving or receiving or both, would you stand? And now let's all stand. Will the rest of you stand with us? Sisters and brothers, you are the living stones chosen by God built on Jesus, the cornerstone. Verse 10 says, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I hope every church can say, as Jesus' people, we are the big thing God is doing in the world. And, you know, don't expect the world to celebrate it. It's going to go by unnoticed for the most part. But make no mistake, your influence is profound. And it will carry on from one generation to the next. Let's pray. Dear God, we are amazed and grateful that you have claimed us as your own. You have made us your holy people, your special possession. Jesus, you are the cornerstone. So align us with yourself. Chisel away at us as you need to. 
we wholeheartedly yield ourselves to you. And now we're going to take a couple of minutes so that we can pray to God whatever is on our hearts. And I'm going to ask you now if you'll be seated. And uh, you can pray there where, where you're seated or if you'd like to come and, and kneel here on the front step before the chancel, I invite you to come.